Well, good morning, everybody. I hope everyone's recovered from all the food eaten in the last couple of days. A few groans, that's great. That's always a good sign. Well, I hope it's been an amazing uh, Christmas time for you. We're still in holiday mode with the new year coming up, uh, but it's really exciting to be able to share with you this morning. Why don't we just pray before we get started? Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to meet around your word this morning, and I pray uh, that your truth would shine uh, through my words this morning. But Lord, I pray that you would be speaking through me, Father, and you would just send your word forth to achieve all that you sent it to achieve. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure many of us are all taking that well-deserved break, uh, I hope. Uh, some of us could still be busy, I'm sorry, uh, but I hope you get some time in the next little while to, to relax. This is that season where we get to chill, we get to reflect on the year that was and think about the year that will be. It's all very exciting, but there's one thing about this season, there's one part to it which tends to have the, or can have the opposite effect, people. I know. I know. It's not as bad as it sounds, but I'm, I'm sure we're all guilty. I know I'm guilty of at least once or maybe a few times of thinking how easy it would be if there was just less people around. Yeah, some of us still look enraged from the Boxing Day sales yesterday. I don't go because there are just people everywhere and the parking is a fun experience unto itself. Or you try to go to the beach and you can't find a park and you can't find a spot on the, the beach and you, you can't find any room because there's people everywhere. Or you want to go camping, but you realize you need to book like three years in advance and just hope that the weather's good because there's no camping spots anywhere. Struggle is real. And how easy it would be if there was just less people so this is what you want to hear, isn't it? Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I just be, is, am I on my own here or are people going to agree? No? All right. Thank you. Thank you. I felt bad for a second. Everyone's sort of smiling but looking down. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a thing. Now, I, now me personally, I'm not much of a party person. If a gathering doesn't have a purpose, like church is fantastic because we're all coming to gather around the Word. Or if there's a sporting team, you're gathering with a bunch of people to play sport. Or you're going somewhere with a purpose. But when it comes to just having a party, it's not really my thing. Because I'm someone who, I love people, as you can tell. <laughs> I love people, but I need my time to recharge. I need my quiet time. And... It's like if I'm traveling. Here's a good example. If I'm traveling, I go into travel mode, and my travel mode is just blank. I, I know where I need to go, and I'm going to get there, and I'm going to sit and stare at a wall, and then I get on the plane, and there's a strategy to try to get the seats where no one else is next to you, and so it's a quiet flight the whole way because I have a fiancé in America and the whole international travel thing when you're stuck in a sealed canister for 16 hours, you kind of want that empty space next to you. 
because you don't want to be sitting next to someone talking for this is the way this is the way I think sometimes I'm just being honest I'm just being honest or when I'm driving I don't know if anyone can relate and someone cuts you off and you tend to have somewhat unkind thoughts I'm sure they're fully capable human beings and but they cut me off it's going to stir thoughts up in my head people people but personalities aside whether you're an introvert extrovert whether you're the life of the party or couldn't think of anything worse than being at one we are new creations in Christ and that means we've been given two commandments so without further ado we're going to stop listening to my struggles and honesty and we're going to turn to Matthew 22 Verse 37. It gets better, I promise. And this is what Jesus commands his people. The two greatest commandments. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, the God part can be easy for the most part because God's perfect. There's a lot to love. But it gets a little bit harder when it gets to that second part about people. See, it's really easy when you're among friends or family, for the most of us, to love people. But, but how often do we actually understand that this is saying all people as ourselves? Because I fall into, as you've heard in my confession time, that sometimes people seem to just get in the way. People just tend to be roadblocks. People are frustrations. But here we're instructed to love them as ourselves. My message is simple this morning, and it's all about people. We're heading into a new year. I thought it'd be good to revisit the two commandments which Jesus pointed out are the most important in this season full of people. Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Check. Love people as yourself, as you would yourself. Aaron spoke last week about opening ourselves up for divine interruptions. And to see people as God sees them is one giant interruption. And that is what we're commanded to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sure many of us could think over this year that was and identify numerous occasions where we've fallen short of this command. I'm not on my own. I know that much. <laughs> Whether you're on holidays or the busiest season of your life, as we think about the coming year, I want to encourage you in three areas to align yourself with kingdom perspective when it comes to these commands. The, per uh, the perspective that loved a broken world, as we've heard, so much that he gave his only son. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 3 and the start of chapter 3. And I want to pull this story out. It's a fantastic story. It's got to be one of my favorite stories 
to when Peter heals the crippled beggar. I'm going to read this passage and then we're just going to unpack three truths. It's not going to be long this morning and everyone said amen. But they're going to be three truths that if we grab hold of them, they can shape our year to open our lives up to allow God to fill where we fall short, where we see God come and interrupt our lives in such a way that we can actually see His love given, not just received. So let's read this this morning. Chapter 3 and verse 1, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was a lame beggar they had seen so often by the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. What a story! What a, what a moment. There's this guy sitting there for a number of years. His whole life he was carried out by this gate, not allowed to enter, begging from the people. And, and we see Peter and John, they live out that command to love people. And the first thing that we see and the first thing that we need to address in our lives when it comes to loving people is firstly we need kingdom eyes. Kingdom eyes. What do we see when we look at people? Do we see what Jesus saw when he was hanging on the cross? What do we see when we look at people? From driving on the road to walking through shopping centers to finding that spot on the beach to at home with family, what do we see when we look at people? I heard this story once of a, I don't know if it's true, but it's fantastic, of a pastor. Uh, And it was a Sunday morning and the congregation was excited because they were getting a new minister. They were about to meet their new minister. And everyone was dressed nicely for the occasion. Everyone was excited, great anticipation as they all came in and filed into church And then one man walks in. He was a bit disheveled, smelt a bit funny, hadn't shaved in a while. He had holes in his jeans and shirt, and he wasn't looking all that flash. And he comes in, and he was kindly ushered to the back. And no one talked to him. There was sort of the radius of chairs around this guy. And the service gets underway. 
And again, everyone's excited in anticipation. Everyone's looking around for this new minister. And then the time came and the, one of the elders stood up, took the microphone and said, I want to welcome our new minister. And the disheveled looking man stood up, walked down the aisle slowly. And to everyone's amazement, this guy was their new pastor that they directed to the back. No one had spoken to, no one had looked at, no one had sat near. Imagine that. (laughs) What do we see when we look at people? Do we see what Jesus sees? I think I know what he was preaching on that morning. (laughs) We see it over and over again in Scripture. Zacchaeus in the tree was a thief. No one liked him. But Jesus saw someone of generosity. Or the woman by the well who is just a moral outcast of her time through the decisions or the situations that she'd found herself in. And Jesus saw an evangelist. The guy with the legion of demons that they tried to chain and he ripped the chains and ran through the cemetery. And everyone stayed near for good reason, uh, stayed away for good reason. Jesus didn't see those things. He again saw someone of great faith. He again saw someone of a willingness, uh, with a willingness to share the love that he was about to receive. What do we see when we look at people? The list goes on, but to see as Jesus sees, we need to take the time to look intently, as Peter and John did. They looked intently at the man. And when we do that, we can see the gold in them. And instead of being the lame beggar, By the front of a gate that he could never enter, he became a worshiper. He became someone who attracted people to the love of Jesus. Because when these two men looked at him, they didn't see what the devil was holding over him. They saw the true true destiny over this man. We need kingdom eyes. The second thing is we need a kingdom heart. Are you moved by people as Jesus was moved by people enough to die on a cross? Peter and John were moved enough to act. A man that was crippled for his whole life, staring at a place that he could never enter. He wasn't allowed in the temple courts. He knew he could never go in. By this stage, he'd probably lost hope. He was probably going through the motions, unfulfilled, in pain, mocked, and an outcast. How many people do we walk past in the street that are feeling the exact same way? Some might be looking for something more, but they go down their list of searching options and cross out church because that's somewhere where they they could never go and probably wouldn't ever go. How many people do we walk past that are walking around with lies hanging over them? Yet two men walk past and offer him the one thing that could fulfill his destiny, and that is Jesus. See, a person could have the whole world, but if they don't have Jesus, then they'll lose their soul. Then what good is all of that stuff that they've amassed? 
See, when we look at people, we see success, we see confidence, we see all these things. But if that person does not have Jesus, then they do not have the answer that they are truly seeking in their heart. They don't have it because there comes a time in someone's life when they realize there needs to be more than what they already have, whether they have millions or whether they have tens. Are we moved by people that when we see them, we see souls as Jesus saw souls? People will only move us if we truly understand the eternal consequences that we decide as God's co-workers. See, we are His co-workers and our responsibility, believe it or not, is to love God and to love people. Those are our, not only commands, but it's our responsibility in our time on earth. We need a kingdom heart. The third thing is this. We need kingdom hands. See, we need to pause and, and reflect on what we do have and not what we don't have. Because if we act out of what we don't have, then we are limiting the power of God to actually move in that situation. Because if we count by what we do have, then we have Jesus and He trumps all because no weapon formed against Him shall prosper. But when we act out of what we don't have, then it actually quells that a little bit and we start to put things over God saying that Jesus is sort of subpar. Because if we call ourselves Christians, then we carry Him with us and we carry that power within us. When we lean on Him, then we expectantly release the Spirit to minister where we can't. For it is He that makes our path straight, not our own understanding. And this is super practical. A friend might have lost a loved one. Oh, I'm not very good with words. I wouldn't know what to say, so I'll just, I won't, I won't really do anything. Or you could make them your world-famous lasagna and drop it around with a smile. Practical. Kingdom hands. And that might open up opportunity to just sit. It might open up opportunity for them to ask about faith. It might open up, we don't know, that's in God's hands, but you're doing what you can, which is cook a great lasagna. A friend who you've been praying for has their car break down. You can't fix it or give them a car, so I guess I can't really do much. I'll just say, oh, that sucks. That's not, that's not great. You must have had a bad weekend. Or we can see an opportunity, so we go and pick them up, expectant for a conversation filled with encouragement and the love of God, and let God do the rest. See, we have a car. We can pick them up. If we make the space, then God can do the rest. If we're expectant, if we act with what's in our hands, there's a homeless person sitting on the street. You don't have any coins, so you don't do anything. You just keep walking. You do the pocket check. Nothing. But you see it as an opportunity. So you apologize as you don't have anything and bless them with a conversation about the weather, about the car that drift, just drove past. Because that person sitting there, people walking past, what if we just bless them with a conversation? then who knows what God can do. If we take that moment to pause 
and realize what we have in our hands, that we're carrying Jesus who trumps all anyway, but we see Peter actually reach out. That's his strength. He did what he could. He just put out his hand and grabbed the guy and helped him up. And the power of Jesus did the rest. But we have to do what we can to initiate that because we are his co-workers, his partners. And as we do what we can, then he feels the rest. He feels the rest. See, as Peter reached out his hand and did what he could in his power, Jesus did the rest. But see, the lame man could have slapped his hand away. He could have slapped his hand away. He could have owned what he'd known his whole life. He could have owned that. See, and it could be when we reach out our hands to some people that we feel that our hands get slapped away. But we were faithful in what we were moved to do, what we saw, what we were moved to do, and we did what we could, but it wasn't accepted. It was slapped away. So then we go away, and that's where we commit it to prayer and pray that the next Christian that they encounter, the next follower of Jesus, is obedient enough to show them love. And maybe the Spirit starts to chip away at their heart so that then they can reach out and grab that hand that's extended to them, and they meet the power of Jesus. See, but in this instance, we see the happy ending. He grabbed the hand, gets up, and walks. But it could be that we're discouraged sometimes because we feel like our hand's slapped away. But I would want to encourage you that take every opportunity we have to extend that hand to people because it gives an opportunity for the Spirit to move when we do that. And if it's slapped away, shake it off, commit it to the Lord, keep praying for them continuously, and take the next opportunity. See, we cannot underestimate the eternal impact of the eternal impact of loving people. Because that man could have family. He goes back and he's walking. What happens to the family? That family then have a story of that man and then the extended family hears it. And then at that time, they're all having babies as they grow up. And now those babies know of Uncle John who used to not be able to walk, but now he does. It's a spiral out of control amazingness that if you love one person and that one person experiences the love of Jesus, what's the effect that that could have? All because we stretch out our hand after being moved, after looking intently at someone. This is pretty cool. I think that's exciting. So while I'm walking around or driving around trying to find a car park and that person just stole one, am I angry at them or can I do something in that moment to actually shift that, see the soul for who they are, the souls that they're in contact with, and so on and so on and so on, and believe that God is bigger than my car park. Or lack of. How far does a smile and wave go? This isn't complicated stuff. It's actually pretty fun if we start to see the value in every single person's face that we pass. I just want to make one more quick point, and, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, but this morning I was just sitting on it, and I, I feel like someone here uh, needs to be encouraged that it says, love your neighbor as yourself, which leads me to think that if you don't love yourself, your ability to love people is limited. 
It, it could be said another way. I, I wrote it down. I just want to read this. I, I feel like this is someone or a couple of people here. Another way of saying this would be, uh, if you haven't grasped who you are in Christ, a child of the Most High, precious in His sight, whole, restored, redeemed, reconciled, one of a kind, birthed for a purpose, and so precious God traded Jesus for a relationship with you. If you haven't begun to grasp that, then you can only love people by the measure of which you understand. Our biggest limiting factor to loving people is how much we actually love ourselves based on how much God loves us. Uh, And I just want to encourage someone here that God traded Jesus for a relationship with you. And we have Christmas dedicated to Jesus, Easter dedicated to Jesus. We see his value, we see his story, we understand his significance. God traded him for you. Take your value from that. And when you truly understand that, then you can love yourself in the way that God does, not in a selfish way, but in a whole way, in a redeemed way, in a restored way. And then you take that love and you apply it to other people and you'll see your world changed. I just feel like that's a word for someone this morning, that you just need it shift that thinking slightly to understand your full value. People. People. We're called to look at them through kingdom eyes, be moved with a kingdom heart, and then stretch out a kingdom hand and allow Jesus to fill the rest. As we finish up this morning, why don't we all close our eyes? And I just want to ask a few questions as we approach this new year. And really think about, are these things that I need to tweak? These are the two commandments. Love God and love people. What do you see? Question one, what do you see when you look around those shopping centers, airports, roads, car, uh, car parks, beaches, parks or stadiums? What do you see when you're looking at people? Question two, are you moved by the souls wandering around you? Are you moved by the souls that are wandering around you? Question three, are you willing to step out with what you have in your hands with the confidence in the name in which you step out? Are you willing to step out with what you have in your hands with the confidence in the name in which you step out and that is the name of Jesus? Do you need to rediscover that confidence in His name? every eye is closed, every head's bowed. I look back over at this last year and see all the times I saw roadblocks rather than people. As we approach this new year, let's take the time to reflect on the people we have encountered this year and resolve to strengthen our kingdom perspective in our continual pursuit 
of Jesus. As we go deeper in Him, let that spur us on to see people as He does. I just want to give an opportunity now that this could be the first time you've heard anything like this or you may not have made a conscious decision in your heart to make Jesus the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in your life. Put Him first and say, you know what, I'm following Him. And I want to give that opportunity today to anyone here who hasn't made that commitment. If that's you and you want to say, you know what, I, what I've been living has been something empty, but I know Jesus can make it whole. If that's you right now, just indicate it's just you and me. Is that you this morning? I just want you to raise your hand right now if that's you. Now I just want to pray for all of us that when we walk out of here into either the holiday or the busyness, whatever it's looking for you at the moment, that we see people with kingdom eyes, we're moved with a kingdom heart and we act out with kingdom hands. Lord God, I pray that you would challenge us to revisit those two commands that Jesus gave. Father, let us see what you see. Let us be moved by what moves you. And Lord, give us the courage to step out and extend what we have in our hands with the expectation for you to move. Lord, we thank you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you have chosen to partner with us. So we claim that promise, Father. Lord, let us see eternal impact in the people's lives that we encounter through, the son, uh, through your Son, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you sent him into this world to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.